Hello and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. I can't speak for anyone else, but I usually feel like there are more things that I want to do in a day than I can reasonably accomplish. I want to do my normal work-related tasks, and I also love to branch out and try some new projects like, hey, maybe starting another podcast or a YouTube channel or writing a book. And then I'd love to learn some new skills. Uh, My girlfriend mentioned studying French recently, and that sounded like a good idea, but we just haven't gotten around to it yet. And then there's all the other things that I'd love to do just for fun. We could probably all get a little better at being productive and effective while maintaining our happiness and without getting too stressed out about it. To help us do that, today I'm joined by the person Ted described as possibly the most productive person you'd ever hope to meet, Chris Bailey. Chris is the best-selling author of Hyperfocus and The Productivity Project. The Productivity Project was named one of Fortune Magazine's three best business books of 2016, and as Chris will probably share more about during our conversation, it was based on his personal experience devoting a year of his life to various productivity experiments. Chris's website, A Life of Productivity, has a small army of devoted readers, his books are excellent, and his wonderful TED Talk, How to Get Your Brain to Focus, has been viewed over 5 million times. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Before we get into our conversation, quick reminder about our Patreon account. You can go to patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast to support the show, and you'll receive a variety of gifts in return. Also, you can find us all over social media, including on Instagram at beingwellpodcast, and Rick and I both have our own personal accounts. Finally, if you've been enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment and subscribe through the platform of your choice, and maybe even leave a rating and a positive review. So, all that said, Chris, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Is it past five million? I think it's past five million when I watched it. It was past five million. Yeah, you crossed the big five number. Wow. What what do I get? Is there a prize now? There really should be, Mm. but given that Ted probably takes in all the revenue from the ads, (laughs) I really don't think you get anything. The prize is a free donation to the Ted organization based on their monetization (laughs) of the video. Oh my God, that should absolutely be a tax-deductible contribution. Yes. 100%, that should be tax-deductible. I'm going to have to hit up Chris Anderson right after this interview, (laughs) the curator of Ted, and uh, and chat. No, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. And I think that the best place to start uh, is just with kind of introducing to people to you a little bit more and and starting with your personal journey here with Mm. focus, productivity, your work. Um, You essentially took a year out of your life and devoted it to studying and learning more about productivity. Is that more or less right? Yeah. Yeah, you did your research. (laughs) It's uh, yeah. (laughs) I try to do my best. uh, Yeah, it's um, it's funny. There's kind of two uh, interests that have been snowballing in tandem for quite some time. You know, productivity, meditation as well. I've Mm, uh, mm -hmm. done a bunch of retreats. So it's it's not often that. I get to speak with my tribe of people. You know, being a a productivity (laughs) author, you get invited to a lot of shows on success and productivity and all this stuff. But it's nice to be uh, with a a tribe of people, including yourself, that's kind of at the intersection of meditation and uh, maybe a bit of of productivity interest too. Maybe maybe my approach might resonate where I, I think productivity is about just accomplishing what we intend to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Where like if if we intend to sit back and relax and watch a whole season of the West Wing in a day and then we do, if that's our intention and we accomplish it, I think we're perfectly productive. 
And the same is true if our intention is to have this really business-like day and answer all our emails and hire two new people on our team and and do all this business-like stuff, this work stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We accomplish that. I think we're perfectly productive there too. Uh, it, it really begins and ends with intentionality, this ruler stick against which which we should be measuring our behavior. And that's all, the, the approach I've almost always taken with this subject of productivity. And, and that, that led up to the point where I graduated university and I had a, a few full-time job offers up to that point because I'd been productive. <laughs> you know, I've been interested in this idea of productivity. And I thought, wait a sec, if there's ever been a time for me to deeply experiment with and explore something that I'm actually interested in, you know, these these jobs at these Fortune 500 companies, wow, they're nice. But it, I, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those cartoons where a character looks down a hallway and the hallway kind of stretches off into infinity yeah. and it looks like it's totally. going on forever. Yeah, that, that was like what that looked like to me. I could see the next mm -hmm. several decades of my life uh, putting 15% of every paycheck into retirement account, <laughs> you know, working my way up the corporate ladder. And I thought, wait a sec. I could just do what I'm interested in. I have enough money saved. And so I declined the jobs. In Canada, we can defer our student loans. I don't know what the situation is in the US, but I had about 12 grand in my bank account. And I thought, okay, I'm going to spend a year experimenting with productivity, researching productivity, interviewing the productivity greats, the gurus, the researchers, the experts, the quote unquote experts. Nobody's really an expert on anything because the more you learn about something, the more questions you have about that thing, hopefully. For sure. That's deeply been my experience with the podcast. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, you yeah. think you know everything and that's the point at which you know nothing. Um, and so, yeah, that set off this productivity journey, which uh, turned into a book, which turned into another book, which has turned into us chatting today. Well, that's awesome. What a great summary. And I, I'd love to loop back to something that you said kind of toward the beginning there, which was about intentionality. Yeah. And if you accomplish what you set out to accomplish in a day, then you are inherently being productive. And I really like that framing because a lot yeah. of the time during these conversations, and I think that when people think about kind of a business mindset, whatever that means to them, uh, heavy quotation marks around that, yeah. there's really this emphasis on this kind of intense striving or being stressed out or yeah. really type A personality, like nose to the grindstone kind of thing. And I think your framing on it is just such a more like open and open-minded approach to the idea of what it means to be an effective person in the world. I, I like that frame of, of effective person. And, mm. you know, this is something that I keep coming back to. You know, this idea of productivity when somebody here's the word productivity, what comes to mind for them is often this notion of something that's so cold, right, and corporate, and all about this efficiency and boiling your life down to a spreadsheet of efficiency where you extract all of the accomplishment out of each day and very little of the meaning, right? The, mm, the people mm -hmm. who accomplish the most this is something I've found and uncomfortable finding in research, pro researching productivity. The people that are able to accomplish the most often have the least amount of meaning in their life. You know, they, they kind of rack up accomplishments, but without the presence of mind to be able to savor accomplishment and the fruits of accomplishment. 
uh, where's the meaning in that? And, and that's why I keep coming back to this idea of intentionality. Every time I stray away from it in the research, you know, you, you have to kind of question, okay, what are we here for? We're here to set mm, out to do mm-hmm. something. We're here to have a presence of mind when we're doing that thing. And we're here to savor the results of those, uh, uh, of, of those things that we're able to be present with. Right, mm-hmm. and so much of it and of this podcast even is accomplishing presence. There's a good book title, you know. Put keep that in your back pocket. But <laughs> you know, we we have this kind of mindset of busyness, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. we do unstructured work and we do work that doesn't provide us with immediate feedback or meaning. And so instead, to get that same amount of feedback, we become busier. We check email more often. We mm. take on tasks that provide us with immediate um, satisfaction, but that might end up compromising how much we're able to accomplish in the longer term. And, you know, in, in that mind, uh, you know, busyness is really no different from laziness when it doesn't lead us to accomplish anything, right? It's an active form of laziness because we don't want to. Uh, step up and create the conditions that produce the ability to become present with what's in front of us, right? That's the Mm. ultimate feedback. That's the ultimate structure is that total immersion and engagement with what we're doing. You know, the the modern world, of course, pulls us right out of that, right? Especially, Especially if we're refreshing the news, it leads to feelings of overwhelm and anxiety. But, you know, the, the purpose of productivity, and I'm so happy we're starting the chat today uh, with, with that notion. The purpose of productivity, I think, is to create the conditions where we can do the things that are important to us in the moment. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that could be just having a great conversation with somebody whom we love. That could be, um, that, that could be getting something done if we're at work, right? But it does really, really begin and end with intention. You know, the most productive people that I've seen they don't work on autopilot mode in response to what comes their way. They work with a deliberateness and an intentionality and a calm, honestly, a mental calm that that those who are more responsive and just all about hustle, 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 uh, don't. I think that's something you said there that really resonated with me is the idea of, without a better way of putting it, like how we receive the idea that we're doing the right thing. So if you work at a kind of a traditionally corporate job, that's a nine hour a day uh, job effectively where you go in, you're in the office for eight hours, you take your one hour lunch break, and then you go home, how we kind of mark time in that space, or at least how I marked time when I was working a job like that, is how many hours am I spending in the office? Mm-hmm. That's like the increment of success. And of course, I'm accomplishing tasks along the way. I'm doing the jobs I have to do in order to not get fired and to be successful at my job and all of that good stuff. And then I would go home and I was kind of done. I was mostly off the clock. Uh, These days, in a kind of self-employed capacity, it's become much more about how many hours a day do I devote to like focus tasks. Mm, And I'm sort of realizing through this conversation that that has been my my increment of success because that's largely how I pay myself, as opposed to like looking at the tasks that I want to accomplish in a given day and asking myself, okay, irrespective of how many hours you spent, did you get the things done that you wanted to get done? Maybe that's more important than just kind of narrowly thinking about 
How many hours did my butt spend in the chair in front of my computer? And how exhausted am I when I get home? You know, that's often a a way that Mm -hmm. a lot of people measure productivity is, oh, I'm exhausted today. I'm totally wiped. I have no energy to cook. I'm just going to order something from Uber Eats because, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I've left it all at work. So I must have been productive. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's it's totally a it's a working smarter, not harder thing. And it's also, I think, just sort of reframing what really matters to you and what are the metrics that you're going to have for kind of success in your life. How do you approach that question? Like, what do you like to look at at the end of a day? And do you have systems for that? Do you just kind of have a feel for it at this point? Oh, that's a good question. So mm-hmm. uh, every every morning I start off with defining the three things that I want to have accomplished by the time the day is done. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, we, we can talk about intention all day long, but unless we have the the tactics, the strategies to bring that down to ground level, when we hit the ground, when, when we start working, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to accomplish what we set out to do. Uh, but the rule of three is, it's this amazing ritual. Essentially, you just kind of ask yourself, okay, by the time this day is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? And that's it. You can only pick three. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the limits of our working memory capacity, um, and I chat about this deep dive in, in, in the second book, is uh, we, we can hold around three things in our mind at one time. We used to think the number was five, six, seven items long. Sometimes uh, some papers showed eight. But the latest research, though, shows that we can hold around three unique pieces of information in our mind at once. So mm. if you look to how the world is structured. We divide three things into threes. Right? We think in threes. We have sayings like, good things come in threes, and celebrities die in threes, and the third time's the charm, and the good, the bad, the ugly, and blood, sweat, and tears, and the three little bears, the three blind mice, the three <laughs> little pigs, the three musketeers, you know, because we can hold three unique things in our mind at one time. That's the attentional capacity that we have when we move about the world. So, you know, at the start of the day, fast forward to the end of the day in your head and ask yourself, what three things will I want to have accomplished? So like this, you know, it's hard to remember what's important throughout the day. So this kind of roots you. Um, you also decide what you don't do. It only takes a minute. We can work more deliberately this way. But this is how I measure my days. The, the, you mm. know, when the day is done, I look at, okay, did I accomplish the three things that I set out to do? Often the answer is no, (laughs) in which Mm, case, mm -hmm. you know, the intention becomes in that moment to not beat myself up over it, but also to look at what I did accomplish that day that made a difference um, in my case. You know, I I really believe that the work that I put out exists to help other people out. If I'm not Mm. helping other people out, why the hell am I here? I might as well pack my bags and take one of those corporate jobs that I declined at the beginning of this journey long ago. Uh, but that's that's how I measure my days, and that's how I measure my weeks. Every week, I, I every Sunday, I set three intentions for the, the week that is to come. And I, I like how you mentioned these uh, sort of negative attitudes we have toward productivity, because, you know, so often when we're working, we feel this guilt, this doubt, this worry— and I, I know you've dissected this before, and Rick has dissected this before. Those are those are three feelings that come when when we're trying to accomplish something, but they arise to fill the vacuum that is left by a lack of intentionality 
behind what we're doing in the first place. And so when we don't uh, work with this intentionality behind what we're doing, these emotions come flooding in to fill the space that, um, you know, we would otherwise use to become confident that what we're working on in the moment is the best possible thing. And so, you know, you can kind of build a, a picture of productivity where we have the weekly goals. We have our uh, daily goals that often relate to the weekly intentions that we set. Sometimes they don't. But then in the moment, right, that's really where productivity happens. That's where engagement happens. That's when we act towards uh, the intentions that we set. And when we work with intention behind what we're doing, those, those negative feelings kind of evaporate, right? That guilt, like it's, it's funny, those, those three labels that we have with, with uh, thinking, Right, guilt is kind of this unease we have with how we've spent our time in the past, especially guilt around work. Uh, this doubt we have—it's when we're kind of questioning uh, what we're doing in the present. And worry, of course, is this imaginary force that comes from the future. Um, and so, when you have intention behind what you're doing, there's really no room to feel those things, and and your relationship with work kind of changes. And, you know, you can talk about productivity accomplishment all day long, but that attitude that should precede accomplishment and that affects our mental health, that affects our well-being, that affects ultimately how uh, how much enjoyment we extract out of work, how much meaning we extract out of it is so critical to get right as well. That idea you have about what fills the space effectively, the the emotional space, the psychic space, however you kind of want to think about it, that a person has uh, related to a task or related to their their behavior out in the world, I think is a really interesting one. Because as we know from a lot of research, uh, the brain's going to attach more more quickly with more intensity to negative thoughts and feelings. Um, Obviously, Rick's done a ton of work on that, but just general research in the field suggests that. So if you don't actively pursue filling that space with something more positive, in this case, intentionality, as you're describing, and creating tactics to kind of fight back against those understandable negative experiences that come along, then you're going to be filled by them. So what are some of the things that you do to, outside, so we have the rule of three as kind of a basic practice, which I think is a really good one. When you talk about intentionality, I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that people can relate to in kind of a general way. Oh yeah, have intentionality. But like, what does that actually mean to you? And how do you go about kind of finding and having that? It means that I'm not working in response to what comes my way, right? Mm -hmm. So often we allow our email inbox to be our to-do list for the day. You know, we we let the meetings that are scheduled for a certain day determine how we feel and how we relate to our work. But... The choice that should precede anything that we spend our time, our attention, and and our energy on, that's what productivity is all about, right? The more often we choose how we we spend those three ingredients of productivity, that's what we have to do, right? Whether that means uh, these weekly intentions, these daily intentions, or this moment-by-moment awareness of what we're working on, which, you know, when we... um, when we're less distracted, we have less attention to devote, you know, we have more attention to devote to what our intention is, right? Because we have more attentional space for it. We can wander a little bit to think about 
uh, what we what we intend to accomplish. And it's funny, you know. The, the, I know meditation is a, is a topic that's covered a lot on the uh, on the podcast, but it's funny the extent to which meditation and mindfulness can help us become more engaged uh, and productive. Mm-hmm. Our mind wandering is absolutely uh, fascinating, right? You mentioned that our mind tends to wander to the negative, uh, but we actually only wander to think about the past around 12% of the time. Now, a lot of that mm. is negative, <laughs> right? You know, we're recalling <laughs> these stupid cringe-worthy things that we've said yeah, that we sure. so desperately want mm-hmm. to take back and we're, we beat ourselves up again and again and again and over, over those things. But we actually wander to think about the future around 48% of the time. Our mind has this mm-hmm. uh, prospective bias that's embedded within, uh, within our attention. And so, you know, we, a lot of us experience this in the shower, <laughs> right? Where we get this yeah, odd... absolutely. Yeah, we get this odd cringe-worthy thing like, oh, stupid Chris, why did you say that to to forest on the podcast to all those people. Uh, but, but we also plan our entire day, right? Yeah. We think about mm-hmm. our goals actually 14 times as much when our mind is wandering versus when we're focused on something. And the beautiful mm. thing is the better we're able to regulate our attention, the more that number goes up. It goes from 48% of the time to 58. We think about the future more often when our mind is wandering, and it wanders less often in the first place. So we don't have these, these internal distractions that are constantly arising. We actually think about the past less when our mind is wandering, when we have an active meditation practice, and when we have control over our attention. And not only that, the practice of meditation actually increases how much attention we have to give to the present moment in front of us. So we don't only wander less, but we actually have a larger working memory capacity with which to become engaged with the present moment. One study I found over the course of writing the second book was that we have around 30% more attention to give to us. That's how much our working memory capacity expands And I think this is what becoming engaged with the present moment is all about, right? There's very few uh, tactics out there that allow us to expand our attentional space, um, Mm -hmm. how much we're able Mm -hmm. to focus on and process in every moment and expand our working memory capacity. But meditation, by God, is definitely one of these. And it just gets me so excited when, Mm -hmm. when whenever I think about even the productivity benefits of meditation, um, because it just allows you to bring more of you everything you do and bring that intention down to the moment because you can keep it in mind. That's a great way to frame that, I think. And to kind of get in on meditation for a moment. Oh man, we I could talk for 10 hours about medita- Yeah, let's do it. So you identify <laughs> 10 hours? Oh my God. okay. I'll, oh, yeah, I'll that would be a long podcast tea. episode. A very long podcast episode. We'd have a lot of complaints. <laughs> I mean we're gonna People have people aren't driving to begin anywhere with, anymore, but... so they can't just put this on in the car if they're a long road trucker, unfortunately. Yeah. But um so okay, so my my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that you you identify as being a Buddhist and you've mentioned uh, a number of times already the benefits of meditation. And I think that that might seem on the surface to people who are listening as something of a contrast. What I mean is that in terms like the productivity again, type A personality, business focus, go, go, go. Mm-hmm. Meditation, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 seconds, 30 minutes, however you choose to do it, of quote unquote, doing nothing. And um, I would love it if you could speak to kind of the ways in which that 
15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is of doing nothing brings those cascading benefits to the rest of your day. Like for you personally, how did your experience change when you started meditating regularly? It's funny, at the beginning of that productivity project, which was, you know, long ago at this point, I stopped meditating just entirely because Mm. I thought of meditation as as this idea of, of something that's directly opposed to productivity, where productivity really is about accomplishing more in meditation. <laughs> if you ever watch somebody <laughs> meditate, like, geez, they're just sitting there. What 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 the heck are they accomplishing? Yeah. Yeah. You can make an argument that meditation in a lot of ways is about accomplishing less. That you're creating space in your awareness. Yeah. You're allowing it to be non-judgmental. You're bringing less of that kind of uh, monkey mind, as yeah. is sometimes referred to, to the process of being. So there's this this interesting contrast there mm. that I do think carries a lot of benefit into the rest of your day. But it is yeah. it is interesting that it was like such a powerful tool for you, and I, I would just love to hear about that. Yeah, for sure. I love that. You know, the mm. deliberate doing less. That's something I'm going to have to think about, meditate on even, um, but not think about, just meditate. <laughs> but yeah, the, I think the golden rule uh, for, for any productivity strategy, you know, we, we talk about measurement. How do we measure a productivity tactic? Uh, I, I think the way to measure any productivity strategy is to think, okay, for every minute I spend on this productivity strategy, how many minutes do I get back because... I did that strategy. So, you know, <laughs> something that falls on an extreme end of this that may, doesn't make us more productive, but kind of masquerades as productivity advice is reading about people's daily schedules. So, you know, there's all these articles, oh, Warren Buffett uh, spends his day this way, or Oprah Winfrey spends her day this way. That won't make you more productive. They're, they're both billionaires <laughs> that have total freedom and flexibility <laughs> and control over how they spend their day. It's basically, I like to you know, affectionately refer to this as just productivity porn where, you know, we, mm, we, mm-hmm. it's just entertaining in the moment, but leaves us with this hollow feeling where nothing changes in our life afterward. But meditation, out of so many strategies that uh, I've experimented with and explored and actually tried to measure how my work changed after investing in a practice, I found meditation actually allows me to, uh, to earn back a lot of time. Mm. And this is a great way to think about it. I really like that. Well, this is, I think the only way to think about productivity strategies. Mm. Now, like if, if meditation, you know, if, if we, you know, sat on the cushion or the bench and then nothing changed outside of that experience and we just kind of blissed out or whatever, um, there would be no point to meditate for productivity reasons. But the fact that the benefits of a meditation practice extend beyond the cushion which Mm, mm -hmm. they always should, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That fact uh, makes meditation worth practicing in for productivity reasons. And I've done some rough back-of-the-napkin calculations uh, with regard just to how much uh, time we do make back when we meditate. And I I would wager that for every minute we spend on the meditation cushion, we make nine minutes back in how much more productive we become. And there are mm. a lot of different reasons for this, right? We were able to reflect on this internal self-talk we have, which actually allows us to overcome procrastination, which is just a buildup of self-talk up to the point where we capitulate and just give in to feel good in the moment. Um, we also wander less, right? We spend 47% of every day in a mind-wandering state. 
That's a lot of the day if we're yeah, awake a for, day. for 16 hours. Uh, and so if we can lower that from 47 to 37%, we have 2.4 more hours of every day, uh, maybe a bit less than that because we do have to sleep somewhere in there, um, to become engaged <laughs> with what we're doing, including when we're at work, right? We're, we're, our mind is wandering less often against our will. Um, and another study has found that when we're distracted completely from what we're doing, uh, it takes us on average when we're completely distracted 25 minutes to get back on track to what we were doing before and mm, regain mm-hmm. that grip of what our intention was before we got distracted or interrupted. It's different if a distraction is external versus internal to us. Um, but if we just, you know, if we have a daily 20 minute, 25 minute meditation practice, and we notice just once that we're about to distract ourselves in that moment alone that we are realigned to what's important, what we intend to accomplish, we've earned back our meditation practice time because mm-hmm. we don't check Instagram. We don't go to the New York Times or check all these news websites and fall down into a rabbit hole of distraction, right? This mm. greater cognitive control, the fact that our mind wanders more often to think about the future means we plan more often. And so between all this engagement, between all of this presence that we bring to our life, and this is like not even mentioning the fact that we enjoy life more and that we become happier <laughs> and that we totally relate to our work differently yeah, and that totally. problems that we face in our work don't affect us as much. This is not accounting the fact that we become clearer communicators, that we have this thought in our mind that we're able to express that to other people and have the empathy to uh, express those thoughts in a way that isn't clouded by judgment, by, uh, by self-talk, by anything like that. By God, we easily make back nine minutes. Nine minutes is, is an understatement with regard to how much time we earn back. And I love this idea so much that I, <laughs> and I hate plugging my own stuff, but it really does fit with this. I, yeah. I, I, I just, um, I just, you know, finished up writing a, a book for a, a website called Audible. And so Audible has uh, something called Audible Originals. So kind of like Netflix has Netflix Originals, Audible has mm-hmm. original audio productions. And that original is on the productivity benefits of a meditation practice and the fact that oh, we awesome. earn back so much time. And I cover this in, in the other books, but it's just like, man, like, why wouldn't you meditate for productivity? You're, you're actually dumb not to meditate for productivity reasons. <laughs> no offense to anybody. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, no judgment. <laughs> I but feel I'm preaching really to the choir stupid, with though, this show, sure. but you know. <laughs> well, I mean, we've got, you know, definitely some people that I think are very consistent meditators and yeah. definitely some people who are probably less consistent meditators and both are all right. But I think that you're definitely um, making a very persuasive argument that's practical in nature mm. for the benefits of some kind of uh, a meditative practice or a focused practice or however you kind of want to refer to it. And I'm really glad that you're doing that because a lot of the time this false dichotomy is drawn between non-interactive meditation or however you want to kind of non-doing meditation and the act of being a go-getter out in the world. And for me, one of the things I really like in what you've said is this difference between almost like hedonic accomplishment versus Mm. eudaimonic accomplishment to sort of put it a certain kind of way, where there's just kind of a difference if you're relating to 
achievement, success, accomplishment, productivity, whatever the word is that we kind of want to use for it. They all have negative connotations. <laughs> yeah, so they all they all have yeah. their problems associated yeah. with them. Through this framework of I want to do these things because I want to make a lot of money, be successful in the world, have a yeah. have a job that I can rely upon, or even internally because I want to fill myself up with external accomplishment, because I want to feel, quote unquote, like a good person or like a successful person, whatever that means. There's a difference between doing things for those reasons and doing things for reasons of self-actualization, basically, yeah. which is, I think, a lot of what you have as an underlying basis in the different practices that you're describing here. Hmm. Whether it's the rule of three, or it's kind of staying more directed toward the future, or it's having a practice of meditation, or it's engaging in more active choice, which is something else that you're talking about in terms mm, yeah. of intentionality, really bringing it back to active choice, which I thought was great. Those are all kind of eudaimonic accomplishments, right? They're things that allow us to, as you framed at the very beginning of the conversation, do more of the stuff that we want to do by the end of the day. And I think that that's just a really kind of helpful underlying structure for thinking about this whole thing. Yeah, you know, speaking of intention, you know, what, what's your intention in becoming more productive? My intention after this interview is to, you know, A, look up what eudaimonic means, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it, it's, it's funny that kind, of, um, that kind of approach that so many of us take. And you seem to look at the productivity space and there's kind of two overarching schools of thought with, with how we should approach productivity at all, right? The first is to hustle like crazy and like, because hustling, like you get stuff done. These like rise and grind type hustlers, you know, who are exhausted at the end of the day. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Elon Musk, he advocates for working 80 or more hours every week. He's been mm -hmm. prone to burnout. He falls into this category. And it's kind of hard to argue with his success. Um, but the other mindset is working calmly and deliberately. So, you know, working with this deep, deep intentionality rooted in everything we do. And somebody, you know, think of an example, like Warren Buffett, he spends 80% of every day reading. He mm -hmm. goes to work mm -hmm. after the market opens. He sleeps for eight hours every night without compromise. And he falls into this category and it's hard to argue with his accomplishment, right? So what's up there, right? I, I think what's up is, you know, productivity books are nice, and I feel kind of weird saying this as a productivity author, but something that I find true about this space is if you care enough about getting your work done, you'll almost always find a way to do it all, right? Mm -hmm. And this second path, right? So maybe two paths diverge from somebody that's listening to this conversation one is hustle like crazy, the other is to become calm and deliberate. The second path, right? You get more meaning, you get more engagement, you get more joy enjoyment, and instead of throwing more time and energy at what you're working on, you, you devote a bit more thoughtfulness to it, right? These two mindsets allow us to, yeah, totally. if, we, if we care enough about accomplishing things, we'll accomplish them. We'll find mm -hmm. a way. We're resourceful, right? We just get stuff done as people, uh, but I, I think especially right now, you know, you talk about this anxious time that we're living in. I think in a world as anxious as the one we're living in, the path to greater productivity runs straight through calm, 
right? This idea mm, mm-hmm. of deliberateness, of this calm intentionality, right? Like that's what we should be spending our, our energy on is instead of just hustling and working ourselves into a early grave in a lot of cases, uh, if we shunted that effort into becoming calm and deliberate, we'll still accomplish things. If we care about accomplishing things, we'll accomplish them, right? We'll mm-hmm, get it. Mm-hmm. We'll get everything done. We'll have more fun while we're at it. Our work will provide us with more meaning too. And and something that I I find come up again and again. And I hope this eliminates some guilt that that many people might have from meditation, from all these different strategies. Right? Guilt is something so often we feel when we're not working. But mm-hmm. to that, I would say having to hustle is usually just a sign you're not working intelligently enough. One of the things that you mentioned a moment ago is this kind of anxious moment that we're living in. And yeah. I think that a lot of people really resonate with that. Um, with the, I don't know exactly how bad it has been in Canada, which I believe is where you are right now. Yeah. But certainly in the United States, it's been pretty rough. And uh, with the pandemic and quarantine, a lot of people have had their routines heavily disruptive. Um, or heavily disrupted. And I've definitely had a lot of days where I found it really challenging to maintain my focus, to get the things done during the day that I needed to get done by the end of it, yeah. to have that more uh, forward-looking sense of accomplishment orientation in a world where forward-looking often has a lot of uncertainty and mm. threat, really, associated with it for a lot of people. Uh, And I'm just wondering, what's your experience been like as somebody who has such a productivity practice? And have you experienced that your habits have been affected? Have things been different over the last six months than they were in the past? Really, anything related to that? Yeah, I'm, you know, this is, um, I think, a fundamental truth right now is that this is affecting everybody differently. Um, Mm. You know, and, and productivity is so often a process of understanding our constraints, right? We all have different constraints on our time, our attention, our energy. Uh, some of us have kids running around home. Um, others of, uh, you know, who, when we have to kind of wrangle their schedule around ours, others of us live alone and we don't have any responsibility at all. And, you know, somewhere in between, maybe outside of that is, you know, where each of us is residing right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think, understanding the position that we're in and expressing some kindness towards ourselves is step zero right now. Um, because, you know, we all have different amounts of opportunity and privilege right now. Um, and that interacts with a time like this uh, to create even more privilege or even more opportunity or severe disadvantages and a lot of threats in, in our work, in our life, um, in just our, our state of being right now. So that's that's, I think, a, a good starting point. And, and with that preface, I will say that, you know, I, I've, I'm, I, I'm not struggling right now. You know, I, I usually tra- travel around 50, 60% of the time for work and doing talks in different cities and countries and not having to do that and just kind of hanging out in my office here and doing virtual keynotes. Oh my God, it's so, it's so nice. It's so refreshing. <laughs> To just kind yeah. of chat about productivity with a lot of companies uh, e- each week, and you know, kind of, kind of do things that way. But I live a more privileged life. You know, I'm straight white male who lives in Canada, who has total freedom and flexibility, 
in his job who lives with one other person, that person being my wife. It's, mm. you know, but I think that's a good starting point. And I, I've noticed, though, that said, <laughs> I have noticed these waves of anxiety during this time, especially mm-hmm. toward the start of the, the pandemic before we settled into a, a new normal here in Canada. And I know it's different in different countries because different countries are responding differently because different countries are different. And, you know, that that has definitely informed, I think, how I feel right now. But mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, we need more time right now and we meet, need more patience with ourselves. And this is something that I, I struggled with at the beginning of it. I'm struggling a bit less with this right now. But mm. a busy mind, an anxious mind, makes it so difficult to focus. And so giving ourselves just a, a bit more time to settle into tasks, um, shutting off when we can, right? Disconnecting from the news. You know, these, these are simple things that we can do. Finding time for something slow every day, Right. Yeah, if if you're getting less sunlight right now than usual, pay attention to that. Pay attention to what's feeding your energy right now. Mm. You know, whether it's all coming from coffee <laughs> or whether it's coming from a more <laughs> diversified source, whether you're getting energy from being engaged with your work and exercise and meditation and time with people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think especially right now, and this is this is a lesson that, Honestly, I found myself becoming um, a bit bummed out at the start of uh, at the start of this this whole Corona thing. Um, but then I looked to how much time uh, I was spending on the news every single day, and I realized mm. that it had gone through the roof. And th- there's one study that I recall about checking the news that really, really sticks out at me that I think about a lot. The the researchers compared a group of people who watched six or more hours of news coverage about the Boston Marathon bombings back when, um, mm, to people who were mm-hmm. running in the actual marathon. I remember this study, actually. Yes, it's yeah, this fascinating. Is a great study. It's mm-hmm. fascinating and quite alarming and sad on a certain level. And what they found was that the people who watched six or more hours of news coverage about the bombings were more likely to develop PTSD than somebody yeah. who was in the marathon mm-hmm. and personally affected by it. What a, you know, compare that to what coronavirus. What a crazy revelation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, compare that to corona. Like people who watch six or more hours of news coverage maybe have a higher likelihood of PTSD from coronavirus than those who are affected by the virus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the single biggest predictor of fear and anxiety in our lives is how much time we spend watching TV talk and news shows, right? Mm. If that doesn't, if those two things together don't inform your action right now, your mental health might be affected in a way that is adverse. That's incredibly true. And for me, my quality of life has definitely improved since I pulled the plug on cable news about a couple of years ago. I just totally disconnected from the whole thing. I mean, obviously, I I stay abreast of what's going on in the world. And I, I check the website for you know CNN or the BBC or whatever it is that I'm doing, um, yeah. but in general, specifically cable news as opposed to informational news, which I think is essential mm. and some amount of commentary, which I think is really useful. The kind of mainlining of threat and concern and worry 
that is born from traditional talking head shows, um, I think is just so detrimental to our overall experience of happiness. That's yes. that's my own personal view that I'm sharing oh, yeah. here, but I think that it's also really borne out, as you're saying, in the literature as well. Yeah, the research really does back that up. And if you look at the science of our attention as well, uh, what we gravitate to, what we naturally pay more attention to is, first of all, anything that's novel, anything that's new and novel, our brain uh, rewards us with a feedback mechanism by which it releases a hit of dopamine in our mind. And uh, so it's kind of like this immediate um, relief almost when we tend to something that is novel. Uh, But on top of this, uh, we also gravitate to anything that is A, pleasurable, and B, Mm. threatening. And that Mm -hmm. threat is, some believe, is the most powerful of the three. I haven't seen definitive research on that. Um, but that n- the fact that the news is such a, a novel, B threat, mm-hmm. that informs how we spend our day, right? What you're, yeah, you totally. know, back in the days when you were at a restaurant with somebody sharing like a nice glass of wine and just enjoying that, that restaurant experience, you might have found your attention gravitate upwards to the TV that was behind them playing, even though you're with the love of your life or with a good friend and one of the most important, meaningful friendships in your life. And oh, for uh, sure. yeah. we, we, we can't help this bias. It's embedded mm-hmm. within us. But what we can do is recognize it and realize that it's affecting our mental health during such an anxious time like this. So I actually haven't told the story on the podcast before, but I think it's just like so appropriate here that now's probably a good time. Um, back when I was about 16, I did a... A teenage kind of meditation meditation youth retreat at a place called Abayagiri Monastery. It's a um, it's a Theravadan Buddhist monastery up in Woodacre in California. I, I think it's in Woodacre, and uh, it was through the Spirit Rock Retreat Center, which oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Rick is associated with, and all of this good stuff. And while I was there, kind of long story short, one of the girls who was on the retreat injured her ankle, and she had to go to the hospital. And uh, she wanted a friend to go with her, and I kind of happily volunteered. And so uh, we jumped in the car with uh, me, the girl, one of the novices, one of the novice monks, because they're allowed to Mm. operate machinery. The ordained monks are not. And um, the Ajahn, the kind of teacher, one of the two primary teachers of the monastery, just like hopped in the car with us. And they're wearing their full robes. We get to the hospital. They walk out fully <laughs> robed up. It's a it's a total scene um, we'll to be attention. there with them. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely got some attention. And we're sitting in the waiting room while she's being uh, checked out. And I'm sitting next to the novice monk. And he's kind of gazing up at the television because they have a television on mm. in the waiting room. And it kind of like bemused by it with this sort of like wrinkled forehead look on the face, just kind of like wide-eyed at it, because he hasn't seen a television in over a year at this point. And so I ask him, I'm like, what are you what are you looking at? What's it kind of like for you right now? And he says something to the effect of, It's so surprising how much it arrests your attention. Mm. And I just forgot how engrossing it is to watch that. Wow because I've been so absorbed with not watching that for the last 18 months or whatever it is. And yeah. 
just to see somebody who, again, is like going through this intense process of becoming a monk and wanting to really regulate their attention all the time to be so like drawn to the television like that and have that self-reflection of like, wow, it's really interesting how much that is summoning my attention right now hmm. was just like so telling for me and really helped kind of inform a lot of the rest of my life, I think, to a degree. What a story. Yeah. That must have been a wild experience too, going from you're on retreat to, to yeah yeah the for for about a week at that point I think it was it wasn't wow. like a crazy long one or something like that but I was there for four or five days then off to the hospital and just like Man. the act of being in that space with yes. the robed monks and just the whole scene of it was was kind of kind of over the top it, it's funny you know after a meditation retreat uh, oftentimes the people I'm going with because we go to the same retreat center here in Canada they we go to a bookstore after the retreat. And even the bookstore is overwhelming. Mm, you know, you see mm. all these titles and all these titles, you can't possibly process everything in that moment. And sometimes <laughs> yeah, I've had to leave the store once or twice because I can't, I can't manage it. You get a little overstimulated. Yeah. yeah sure. And even, um, I remember another time in an elevator, I, I was just kind of in an elevator and I realized after a couple minutes that I hadn't pressed a button. I was just kind of content being there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what a hospital must have been like after a, a retreat. That must have been quite something. It was It was definitely a lot, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so I, I do want to ask one more question that yeah. I was planning on asking actually toward the very beginning of the conversation. Oh man, we got we, off track. We got just kind of so taken by the whole thing. So one of, of course, the, the major pieces of your work is focus, which has been a, a sub-theme of our whole conversation here. I think that you can really look at meditation as a practice of regulating attention yeah. and as training in the regulation of attention. And title of your book is Hyperfocus. Um, yeah. What's one of the things that you have found, maybe outside of the, the use of meditation, tactically, that helps you stay sort of on task more or more absorbed in what it is that you're doing as opposed to being pulled apart by all of those distractions that we've named during this conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. I think purposefully making your mind less stimulated. Um, so that that novel, you know, it comes to mind because of the, you know, we we're just chatting about novelty, but that novelty mm -hmm. mechanism in our mind uh, by which for every new and novel thing we direct our attention at, our mind rewards us with a hit of dopamine. That's a, mm. that, that creates feedback loops in our head because we uh, check Instagram, we get a hit of dopamine. We bounce over to email, we get a hit of dopamine. We go to Facebook, we get another hit still. And that raises the, the dopamine levels that are coursing through our mind. And, it, and we always want to maintain kind of a, a solid state of stimulation. Um, and so we, we kind of keep it up. <laughs> and and we mm -hmm. tend to more distractions. So in that way, stimulation begets stimulation and distraction begets distraction. And so one of the best things that we can do is to kind of, I hate the word detox, you know, but it's kind of what it is. <laughs> it, it's, to, it's to take a week or two and deliberately not tend to these uh, feedback mechanisms. And mm. so anything that you know, kind of releases that immediate hit because it's so novel, it's so threatening, it's so pleasurable often. Don't tend to it for a week or two. Make a list of things that create this mechanism in your mind, that create this mm -hmm. feedback loop in your mind, and abstain from them for a couple of weeks. And what you'll find is that the first one to three days will be hell. 
there'll be absolute hell because mm. you'll squirm. You'll your monkey mind is going to go crazy. You're you're going to want to squirm your way out of this little experiment. But don't allow your mind to control you in that way. You know, you you control your mind um, just for a week, just for two weeks, and then notice after this fact. Notice how much deeper you're able to focus. Notice whether or not you crave stimulation and distraction. And notice your levels of happiness and and calm and and well-being, too. You know, I don't know if you've had one of those moments where you're kind of flipping around on your phone and you... You like you're on Instagram and you accidentally swipe over to the wrong screen and your selfie camera fires up. And the thing about our expression, <laughs> I've lived that life. Yeah. yeah, a lot of us have lived that life a little bit. Um, our expression on our face, it's usually not some like ear to ear grin. Oh, We're yeah. usually zoned out. Mm-hmm. We have this zombie like expression on our face. Mm-hmm. Why would we spend any of our life like that? Why would mm. we want to? Right. And this, it's just kind of evidence that we've all seen that what stimulates our mind does not provide us with meaning always and Mm. does not always provide us with lasting amount of satisfaction. Right. It's ephemeral, it evaporates. Um, Something else that somebody can do right now, right? You're listening to this podcast, maybe on your phone, maybe on something else, probably your phone though. Mm -hmm. Take the phone (laughs) out of your pocket and set a timer for tomorrow, for every hour of the workday. And mm. this can be at like 9.23, 10.23, and so on until 5.23 or whatever. And in that moment, when it goes off, I call this the, the hourly awareness chime, um, call it whatever you want, but just check up on where your attention is. If your mind is wandering, where is it wandering to? Notice that and bring it back to your work in front of you. Notice if you're working with intention, behind what you're doing. If there's thoughtfulness that preceded what you're working on, uh, notice whether you've fallen victim to a novel stimulating distraction, right? And bring it back. And don't be too hard. Like it's, this is kind of like a day-long meditation almost where you notice without judgment and realign your attention to what's valuable and important mm. and meaningful in that moment. On the meditation cushion, that's the breath. That's another object of your attention. But throughout the day, you can realign your attention to what's valuable and meaningful and important too, right? Even if you're Mm -hmm. spending time with loved ones after work, are you bringing um, quality attention to them? There's, uh, I forget who said this, but somebody once wrote that uh, sharing love and quality attention with somebody, they're so similar that they're almost indistinguishable from one another, Mm -hmm. right? We Mm -hmm. need to bring that kind of mindset to what we're doing in, in the moment. And, you know, Hyperfocus, it's this book with this in, intense title. <laughs> Hyperfocus, <laughs> and it's red, and it's very visually distracting, but it's to kind of get people in the door and mm-hmm. share these ideas that will make all of our lives better, especially right now. I think that that's a wonderful capstone mm-hmm. for a conversation as a whole because it's such a summary of so many of the things that we've talked about here. So, Chris, before I let you go here, is there anything that you would like to let people know about? Anything yeah. that you're working on right now? You named the Audible book earlier. Yeah. Well, I feel I've plugged my stuff enough. So, I've, I've already mentioned the <laughs> well, name fantastic. of the second book. So, I, I won't plug the books anymore. You can just search my name if, you want, if you're interested in them. Uh, I have a podcast called Becoming Better that I do with my wife. 
about all the ways we can become a better human being uh, backed up by science. And so that's fun. And my site is a lifeofproductivity.com. I'm trying to write more for that um, between mm, doing mm-hmm. all these virtual talks, but just having fun. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully people found the conversation helpful. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much for taking the time, Chris. This has been totally great. As you could probably tell, I had a great time talking with Chris Bailey today. He gave a variety of great practical tools that people can use in order to become more focused and productive in their lives. And we also spoke pretty broadly on the importance of mindfulness and meditation, on the ways that productivity can be used toward good ends versus problematic ends, and some of the pitfalls that often emerge inside of the whole productivity conversation, this kind of narrow focus on grinding whatever we can out of every minute of the day, when in reality, it's a lot healthier to think about behaviors as the time that they give you back. Like meditation, for instance. It might take you 20 minutes of quote-unquote doing nothing, but if those 20 minutes earn you 30 minutes of focused attention through the course of the day because you took care of yourself, because you took a little bit of time and space to do whatever you had to do to ramp up into your productive day, then wow. Not only was that behavior good for you psycho-emotionally, but it was also good for you from a productivity standpoint. And I thought that that was a really great distinction that he drew. One of the tactics that he began with that was particularly useful for me was the rule of three. Beginning each day with three distinct things written down that you want to accomplish by the end of it. You're not allowed to have two, and you're not allowed to have 12. You need to be narrowly focused on those three things. And if you accomplish them, almost regardless of what else happens productivity-wise in your day, you are supposed to feel accomplished at the end of it. Give yourself credit for doing those three things. And if you can do that, at least that, you probably had a pretty good day. So before we get out of here, a couple of quick reminders. First, Patreon page, patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. Also, you can find us over all of the socials. There are links to our social accounts in the description of today's podcast. And then finally, again, please subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a positive review. The show really survives based on our listener support. And to be honest about it for a second, it has been incredibly personally gratifying for me to see the way that the show has grown over time and to really get the experience, honestly, that we're making a positive difference in people's lives. So again, thank you for listening and I'll talk with you soon. 